Welcome to Cold Turkey Podcast. This must be the last episode of the year. 2020 was, uh, let's just say it, a fucked up year. Um, it was a roller coaster ride of emotion for myself. Not only uh, was the pandemic um, has hit us hard um, in our region, but in case of the, you know, um, the confinement and the family and all of that, you know, I get challenged and tested. My mom passed away um, and she's, you know, um, with the last few months, uh, almost two years. Um, my guess is that, you know, like she, she's resting right now and she's in a much better place than she was um, in the, la the last uh, few months. Um, <clears throat> a close friend of my of my wife died as well and uh, it was a rough time that was uh, not too long ago and uh, made me think a lot she wasn't uh, she was not only she wasn't even 40 years old and um, this was a tough one as well to swallow and made me think a lot about you know like what I want in life and you know like where do I want to see myself in a few years and to you know it's a cheesy saying of, you know, like uh, spend every one of your day like if it was the last one. But, you know, like I, I try to apply this more and more to my life, especially since that happened. Um, and this week I'm with Bobby. Uh, Bobby has shared with me uh, some of her uh, gambling problem. That was a bad transition, I know, but um, sorry about that. Uh, Bobby has shared some of her gambling and, you know, uh, alcohol problems and um it was a fascinating, and I use fascinating quite too often, but uh, it was a fascinating conversation um, because um, I don't talk a lot about gambling and, you know, like people that have, um, I would say, almost like dry addiction, you know, like where, where you know, like like food, like, like gaming. Um, for me, it is interesting. I want to know more. I'm curious about it. And Bobby has shared plenty with me. And, you know, like it made me think a lot about, you know, like the, these kind of challenges that someone can encounter. Um, and finally, the last thing I'm going to say, you know, like I'm going to wish you the best holidays. Um, I know this is tough time. I still have the, that invitation on the table. Don't hesitate. You know, like if you feel the, the need to share and to talk, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm here for you. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. You can DM me. You can, you can send me an email. Um, I got my own domain now, you know, like, so Alex at podcastcoldturkey.com is a, is an email that works. You can go look at my web, website, you know, like, so www.com podcastcoldturkey.com. There's a French version as well. You can, can see in the upper right corner. Um, and yeah, I mean, like I changed my hosting site for the podcast, you know, like, so some of my stats has been uh, cleared and, you know, like I'm starting over for 2021 and, you know, like I, I hope everyone's going to have a better year than 2020 was. And uh, without further ado, here's Bobby. Enjoy. Hi, Bobby. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Alex. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, like I showed you a bit of my studio, uh, you know, like it, it's um, it's going to be unbox therapy tomorrow. No pun intended to that YouTube channel, but you know, like I'm, I'm going to be doing a lot of unboxing. So um, for a while, my sound 
you know, like I felt that my sound sounded like I was talking through an old can, an old empty can. I should be good to go in about, I would say a week. So, but I'm doing fantastic. I had great news today. I visited a house that my wife and I fell in love with and we may move. Um, we will move um, in, in 2021. My 2020 was, it's about over in a few days and you know like it was a shitty year on top of the pandemic it was a shitty year <laughs> so uh so we both of us can't wait for the year to end so so yeah we got great news today that house we visited and some some stuff that we uh, some letters that we were not expecting that we received with fantastic news and so yeah so my life is um well always after you know like bad weather you get sun so that's my son moment. <laughs> Congratulations. Maybe you maybe you don't even need to unpack those boxes if you're going to be uh, moving into a new house. If if I if I knew uh way way when I would have taken the picture and no kidding, I would have probably rented like a warehouse or something and just dropped these freaking boxes there, you know, like uh you're right. You know, like I, I should have thought about that before and um my wife didn't expect that it, it came from me, you know, like I was like, well, why don't we try moving? And it was like, what? You know, like she, cause because of the, the, the renovation caused by the water leak, you know, that we had, she thought that, you know, like, we, you know, like since we were doing a lot of stuff, you know, like while the people were there to work on repairing, um, she thought that, you know, like, oh, we're set, you know, like I was like, well, no, let's move. <laughs> and she was like, what, 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 you know, I can, and so, yeah, we found somewhere closer to uh, our, our tight uh, circle of friends. Um, pandemic has made me reflect a lot about, you know, like the importance of your network. You know, like here in Quebec, we're quite confined, you know, like to a point where even seeing friends is a tough gig, you know. So um, it it kind of raises the awareness of the importance of your your connections and your network um and so yeah and you know like since i don't have um not that i i don't have friends but you know like the the people i know are pretty much spread all across the board you know like they're all over the place um me moving impact us impacts me less than my wife being kind of here you know like so so i was like yeah let's get closer to your and you know like i i get along fantastic with their friends so and i, I appreciate them really much you know so yeah, so kind of a little slice of life here, but yeah, I'm doing great to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, first, you know, like I, I do, I you know, like I, I tend to do this in the past few uh, months um, for obvious reasons, but um, I'm gonna ask you that the first two questions are pretty much like, where are you located, and how's the pandemic going for you in terms of you know like the impact it has made on your sobriety on your you know like on 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 your well-being uh yeah so i'm i'm in upstate new york i'm in a town called schenectady so i'm about a half an hour from the capital of new york in the middle of the state and the pandemic has been amazing for me it's been the worst and best year of my life uh today is actually one year sober for me with no alcohol. So I have not had anything to drink throughout the pandemic. Congratulations. Is, 
Thank you. Which is interesting because I actually did not plan to quit to drink. It, I, it didn't. It didn't happen on purpose, honestly. But this this year has been. It it wasn't necessarily because of the pandemic, but things happened like. My biological father and my grandmother died within a week of each other. Um, I lost a friend every single month for like six months straight. Wow. Whether it was Corona or I lost a friend to cancer. So all these things happened. And what ended up coming out of it was without having my gambling and without having alcohol, I had to learn how to deal with things this year. And that's why I'm grateful for the year and say that it's been the best because I've learned so much about myself and about life and how to have my best life. So that's how I'm handling the pandemic. And it it, it actually threw the, you know, like, let's be guessing that it threw kind of the worst first, just so, you know, life can see if you can handle that kind of pile of shit, you know, so... (laughs) Yeah, that's that's what it felt like. I was I was coming off of um, a breakup from my dream guy, too. And I went to Asia and literally came back to the States on February 1st, which is when the buzz really first started around COVID. Yep. And I got back and my my job wouldn't let me go back in the office because nobody understood it back then. And then throughout the year, I've been doing like a ton of online classes and networking and focusing on entrepreneurial stuff. And I quit my job in September and I started a second business again, kind of on accident, didn't plan on running it. It just kind of presented itself. So it's been a year like that. Just, just really bad things turning into negatives or positives, negatives turning into positives. Yeah. And, 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 you mentioned something important, which is um, if there's one thing we we must kind of take away from that is the fact that I don't know about everyone, but you just mentioned kind of thinking about um, yourself. You know, I kind of, you know, I kind of we had well, I would say too much time to kind of think, <laughs> but it was all about. Um, okay, what am I doing? You know, like, you know, like in terms of, am I good? You know, like, is everything good? It was kind of a check engine moment of, you know, like our, our all, all self, you know, like it was, um, and I'm still in it big time, but you know, like there's a lot of, you know, like for, for example, the podcast for me, you know, like I decided to just give, you know, like even more effort in, in making this grow and making this, you know, like, uh, um, broader experience for my listeners and for you know like the the yeah you know like so so and same thing for my professional um job and um there's a lot of stuff that you the the i guess the moving comes out of that as well you know like the 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 fact that you know like this year there was as as you you experience you know like there was too many life loss and um yeah, I mean, like it, it, it just is a moment of uh, um, taking the best out of these shitty moments and and making this um, making everyone's life and yourself better. You know, like so, so yeah, you know, like I, I've been, I can identify to what you just said big time. 
Well, and you said something that just triggered me. So on my podcast, what, there was a night, it was in the middle of March. I was trying to fall asleep and I just couldn't. And I woke up and I said, I just need to podcast. And from that moment on, in the middle of March, I started podcasting twice a day. And what ended up happening, I was doing a daily reading in the morning and then like downloading about my day at night. And I didn't realize this was happening until actually just upon this last couple of weeks of reflection, I was actually doing my own recovery work in a way that was healing me, trying to serve my audience. And I'm down to one episode a day now, and I, I will end it in March when I cycle a year of the readings to make sure everybody has every day. But I, I love that you said that you put your energy into it too and, and took advantage in expanding the show because your topic is so important. And I'm glad that you're getting it out there, especially with your style and flair. That's appreciated. Thank you. I mean, uh, you know, like we, we talked about this right before starting to record. Uh, it was kind of for me it i felt like there was a there was a hole right in the middle of you know like between two end of the spectrum of what you could find in terms of sobriety you know, like i i i heard a lot of people reflecting by themselves about their own path which is great you know like uh, you know like there was a lot of super niche um i felt even after you know like some years of of sobriety hard to reach and hard to decipher um stuff uh kind of a category of that and then you know like there was like and i told you as is you know like way too clean for me like and i'm i mean in terms of you know like the the veganism and the yoga class and you know like i was like wow you know like I, i'm not i'm not like that you know like i i I can't lift yet, you know, like, <laughs> I can't levitate yet, you know, like, I'm sorry. And, um, and so in between that, you know, like, I think two human beings sharing their, their story, um, that's what, you know, like, that's what, um, clean soul, I'd say, you know, like, that's, you know, like, that's the best way to, um, yeah, I mean, it may sound a bit uh, cheesy, but you know, like that's uh, it's it's people sharing, it's connections. Um, I had a conversation this week on Monday with someone that you know, like we discussed. Um, uh, you know, like I made an analogy to to electricity. You know, like I said, connections is, you know, like if you uh, you know, like you make that that image. Um, there's there's a question of wattage voltage you know like you can't connect something that's no you know like that it, it won't connect you know like so the fact that you know like the my guests are people that you, and you you mentioned that before we started um the fact that you know like an addiction is an addiction you know like whatever it is you know like there's there's some common points that we can relate to um which is precisely it you know like you know like that's how i do connect with my guests is I, you know, there's plenty of times that, you know, like that my guests are sharing and I'm, I'm, I, I so relate to it, you know, like it's, it's crazy. And I guess the listeners the same. Yeah, there's definitely so much crossover and commonality amongst addiction. And, and I think what I'm discovering, especially this year, I think this sounds probably not the right way to say it, but 
with all the focus on mental illness and people just trying to survive and connect as a world and as communities dealing with the pandemic, I think there's actually a lot more correlation to just people trying to survive and live good, healthy, fulfilling lives. And in addiction, we those of us that are in recovery and, and do our thing, we almost have a, a gift that people who haven't endured addiction don't have by having the resources. You were talking before the show about the simple things like gratitude and, you know, these foundational principles to be the best human beings we can be. And, and people who aren't in addiction might not have exposure to that stuff, but this year, because everyone's needed a little extra, I think there's more exposure. And that's one of the gifts of, of COVID is helping people, ordinary people or normal people. And I'm using air quotes for your audience. Yeah. Um, to not put people in a box, but I think there's an opportunity there with that to educate more people on some of those practices we use. And, you know, like, as you, as you were talking about this, you know, like I, I, all I'm thinking of is, you know, like finding a sense of purpose. The reason why, you know, like it's, it's much easier for us to uh, improve our life is that, you know, like we, we almost on, you know, like we know that falling back into that trap of relapse is a death sentence. Um, I consider it, you know, like I, I still say to this day, you know, like almost 16 years in sobriety that um, I'm scared shitless of relapse. Um, I truly believe that, you know, like it, it will put me in such um, jeopardy in all aspects of my life that I'm grateful that I'm scared of relapse. I'm great, you know, like I'm grateful that I'm scared of um, using again. Um, after all these years, um, and I don't want to, so, you know, like finding a sense of purpose, um, it's really something that, you know, um, it's easy for me to find it because, you know, like I, I know precisely why I'm trying to improve my life because I don't want myself, um, a slippery road, uh, into falling into that, those traps, you know? So, yeah, you know, like, so for me, you know, like you, you said it best, you know, like we, we fortunately have tools um, because of that. Congratulations on so much time. That's really, really beautiful. Thank you. And you said something. Oh, what did you just say? I the, lost my whole train of thought, but you said something that really struck a chord with me. Finding oh, the purpose. The fear. Oh, the fear. fear and the respect after so much time. That's, that's like so incredible, incredible and powerful that you still, you still know that you're still aware of that. And I, I think that that's a great advantage. I know when I quit gambling the first time, for example, I was operating under fear. And then when I stopped being afraid, I like, I forgot, I forgot to be afraid. I forgot to respect it. I forgot the pain and I went back out and it's just really admirable that you can remember that. And, and I'm sure that that takes work, that that's mindful thinking that you're afraid or I respectful. I saw, um, I saw an interview with Mickey Rourke that dated a bit, you know, and um, Piers Morgan would, was asking him, um, 
have you ever feared i think he was talking about you know like his troubled childhood and he said did you fear your pat your your or your stepdad and he said absolutely and he said so you were scared never and he explained that you know like fear you can you can fear something but not being scared because it paralyzes you so that's why you know like it's it's important for me to mention that you know like it 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 has never paralyzed me it have never made me static in life but fear is part of my i think it's part of the success of my sobriety because i i i've seen people not being not fearing relapsing and you know like riding that thin line that i you know like that i feel is quite dangerous um so you're right saying that, you know, like it's a conscious, you know, a kind of thinking, uh, but at the same time, um, reminding and, you know, like you, you're just witness of people that becomes, they feel like they're bulletproof and, and, you know, like that you're invincible to that, uh, and they fall. Um, and so I guess, um, I guess that's it, you know, like it's, it's really, you know, like seeing people that becomes almost fearless of, of, you know, uh, using again, and they become, you know, like serial, almost serial relapsers, um, because they, they think that, you know, like they can never, they can always come back. And, um, I think this is the worst because, you know, like since you've, and you know, like that's what, <laughs> that's actually what I fear the most is that, you know, like just, I don't know, like I have a sip of something of an alcoholic, you know, alcoholic beverage or, or have a toke of a joint and realizing that, you know, like I, I'm not dying, you know, like it's, I'm good. That would be the worst fucking thing, you know, like, I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I, and so I'd rather just keep that fear in mind that, you know, like it's, uh, there's too many people that goes back and never come, you know, like they never come actually they don't come a hundred percent, you know, like because they've damaged themselves, you know, like, so yeah, you know, like that's, um, but I, again, you know, like, I, I guess I, you know, like to, to, I have I, maybe some merit to it, but you know, like I've, I've even in therapy, I remember, um, uh, having this in me, you know, I like kind of, okay, I can't. And I guess I had made, you know, like the, the, I had made the decision that I would never touch it again, even before going in therapy. And I, I don't mean the drunken promises. I just mean that, you know, like the week that I called, they they were ready for me uh, to take me in. And uh, a few days later I was going in. And during those two days, it was pretty crystal clear that, you know, like I, I, I was playing because a few events had happened that uh, I could have either get arrested or put myself in a situation. I knew that. I knew that I was um, getting a bit like, well, like a bit just crazier and crazier, you know? Um, yeah. So um, I'm, I'm, I, I, I often talk about this, um, you know, like um, fear, <laughs> fear going back, you know, like just fear it because you, you never know. Agreed. Yeah, it's good to have that respect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Bobby, as I do every week, um, I'm just going to be asking you to rewind that life story tape of yours and just bring me back um, 
kind of giving me like the, the old picture of, you know, like bring me back to either you using or having that substance contact, you know, whatever it is, you know, like you talked about gambling, you talked about alcohol. Um, what's your first memory of either you touching it or using it or having been impacted by someone else, someone close to you using or, or playing that you, you you see as, you know, like the first memory of, uh, of the, you know, like that, that whole thing? Well, for, for me, my first, I can remember my first drunk at 15 where I had snuck vodka and I got caught. And, and that would be the first time I could remember doing it like on purpose. And even though I was young, so, so by then I, I think that I had done the whole sipping, you know, like as a little kid where we used to sneak sips of the beer and whatever there was, there was always drinking around us. My biological father was a partier and a pill popper and it wasn't, it wasn't a surprise. But in high school, I started experimenting and my mother was against me drinking and partying and she didn't know how much I did actually. You know, I was, I would, I don't like the taste of beer. I think it's really gross. Uh, but I was drinking beer, <laughs> skip school, you know, go to the keg parties, uh, smoke pot, the whole thing. And through high school, the contact we had with Bob is my biological. He actually would buy me booze as a teenager. So those are my earliest like memories of intentional drinking. Did, uh, was there, you, you mentioned, uh, the gambling, was there playing and gambling around you? So, oh, okay. So the gambling, so it's funny because I don't think that unless you're in the arena, really having to think about what gambling looks like. So gambling, when I was eight, nine, 10 years old, looked like family picnics where I got to play nickel dime poker to participate with the adults or going to bingo with the grandmothers. Mm -hmm. So gambling was arcades are gambling as far as I'm concerned, Alex, right? Like you put money in, there's, there's chance and you get tickets for prizes, you know, it's the same thing. So, um, I have always said as, as long as I've been open about it, that, you know, my, my gambling, career is over 30 years because it was, it started as a child and that's, it's, it's funny. I've come to believe that the reason I became an, a gambling addict was so that I could try to not be an alcoholic because there was a lot of alcoholics and drug addicts around and I didn't want to end up like them. And I yep. used to escape potentially with, with gambling. I used to go to sporting events. There was a, a place not too far from when I worked and I was like 18, 19 years old and it's called High Lie. I don't know if, if you know what that is, if it's international. I don't, I don't even really know. Not everybody knows what it is, but these people run around a, like a racquetball court and you bet on numbers. And I used to, I used to go there. I was playing lottery like crazy too at 15 scratch off tickets. I always worked in grocery stores and one of them, they would give me the whole book of 500 and I would scratch. And if I 
owed them money at the end, they would let me pay after or if they owed me because I won. I mean, $500 20 years ago as a kid was a lot of money. I'd sneak off to the casino with my income tax check, um, you know, which was like the highlight of the year. Getting a $300 check was so great. But yet I drove in and snuck in the casino underage and pissed it all away. And then it, it ramped up. It continued to ramp up. In my 20s, I was a truck driver. And the first four years, I did it by myself. And I was driving all over the country. And I found all the casinos. And eventually, I met my now ex-husband. And when he got in the truck with me, I, I could convince him and manipulate him into gambling with me. But that had an expiration date and he got tired of me losing all of our money. So he asked me to go home and go back to work in the grocery store. So I moved out of the truck. Um, and then I would say in my thirties is when my drinking started like ramping up. Like when I gambled, I didn't drink and I would, I, I was definitely not a responsible drinker. And I moved away to to the Midwest, to Kansas City in 2013. And the first month I was there, I lost all my rent money. It was like my dream job. I was there all by myself and I was really scared. So that's when I quit gambling. And again, what I didn't know at the time, even though I was going to my GA meetings, the nights that I wasn't working on that... I was at the bar and my, I think my drinking really started ramping up when I first quit gambling. And I, I didn't realize I was trading coping mechanisms. And actually that wasn't even pointed out until I got back here in the Northeast in 2017. And in the center where I went for recovery, they point, they kind of pointed it out because they did this screening about alcohol and ask you about your usage and stuff. And when I relapsed in Kansas City, it was it was the worst. I was at the casino, and if I wasn't at the casino, I was at the bar. Or if I lost everything at the casino, I would then go to the bar, um, and it was it was a trade off. So I never really I never really addressed it. And then last year, I hope it's okay. I'm just going on and on and giving absolutely, you the absolutely. So so last. So when I was in rehab, I went to rehab for gambling addiction in 20, wow, I'm losing track, uh, at 2017, March of 2017, and I met a boy, and I fell in love, like the craziest in love I ever fell in, ever. Like, I just didn't even know that you can love someone this way. And of course... Everybody was wrong. It had nothing to do with rehab and, and all the things. And we, we were planning a life together and that all shit the, hit the fan last year. And there was a day that I had texted him when I was drinking after we had kind of gone our separate ways. And I was a person I did not want to be like, here was this man, even if we were broken up, I was so in love with him. And I sent this text when I was drinking, that was very mean and nasty. And that wasn't who I wanted to be. And in December, I had made the decision to stop talking to him altogether. 
but I was still afraid of texting him under the influence. So I was getting ready to go on my first sober trip with another podcast. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but it's called Recovery Elevator. And they were doing travel retreats and they have a community. And I, I always enjoyed the, the show. And they had this trip to, to Thailand and Cambodia. So the podcaster asked that you don't drink for 30 days before the trip. And I don't know that I had not drank for 30 days consecutively other than when I was in treatment because it was inpatient. So I was like, okay, let me try this. And that was last year this time because we were leaving in January for the trip. And then when I got home, like I said, all these things happened, all these um, deaths. I was still afraid of of texting the guy because the pain was still real. And um, I, I didn't drink out of fear of bad behavior at first. And then all of a sudden I wake up one day in the fall and I'm like, holy shit, I haven't drank and I am the most productive person <laughs> I have ever been in my life. Yeah. And I processed all the pain without a drink and without a bat. And it just taught me that I feel like I'm almost invincible as crazy as that sounds. But like if I could get through this year and this shit and do it by myself without the addictions. Now, granted, I still had my cigarettes and my coffee on occasion. Like I, I still haven't mastered quitting cigarettes, but um, to get through this year that way, like, I just feel like anything is possible now. And, and talking about cigarettes, you know, like I still do some vaping and, and I decided to just embrace the fact that I was a freaking smoker, you know, like I, <laughs> I, you know, I, I was like on, um, I probably stopped five to six times and um, trying all kinds of shit, you know, like the patches, the gums, the the pills, you know, I tried it all. And so I stopped and get, I, then I got married in Cuba and um, started, it would be cute to smoke cigar. Um, so I developed a, a cigar smoking habit and... Um, the cigar shop downtown where I worked um, knew my knew my name, so you can't imagine the kind of budget I needed to, you know, <laughs> like to kind of to sustain that. And so I was like, "Wow, okay, so now not only am I a smoker, but I'm a cigar smoker, so I must completely stop." And so I stopped again, and um, and then I I just came, you know, uh, walked in a vaping store and said, well, I guess <laughs> I'm going to try that, you know, and, uh, <laughs> I made, I made a lot of research around it and, you know, like wanted to make sure that, you know, like it was at least less damaging that, you know, like all of the other options that I tried yet. And, um, and it seems, especially some of the studies from Europe that were way more thorough and way less political than they are here in the U.S. because, you know, like actually it's it's uh, damaging the tobacco industry. So whatever report they pull out of their ass, you know, like there's absolutely some kink in the system. And and that being said, you know, like I, uh, at some point, I think it was after five years of sobriety, I decided to embrace some of my um, defects of character. I just, you know, like I, I kind of instead of, you know, like and I'm... Yeah. 
I'm not minimizing kind of the, the, the work that has to be done in identifying them. What I'm saying is that, you know, um, the same passion or the same obsessiveness and compulsiveness that made me destroy myself makes it that, you know, like I, I think I'm, you know, like a, um, I, I'm, I'm a professional in technology and sales. And I think it makes me a great sales executive um, because of the passion, because I've heard multiple time um, some of my managers say, wow, you're, you're a passionate one, you know, like you, you, <laughs> you, you got great passion, you know, like, and I think it comes from my obsessive compulsiveness, you know, like, so, so because of that, you know, like I decided just to embrace it, you know, like, so, um, so you, you just said it, you know, like you, you, that same fire fuels your life after, you know, like, cause it's, it was pretty much the same, you know, like, can you imagine how much effort we, we, you know, like how much effort we put into finding money when we don't have none and finding alcohol and, you know, money to gamble when, you know, like you're broke as a nail, you know, like, so it, you know, like there's obviously, um, great, uh, how can you say it? You know, like there's, you know, we were great at that. So take those same abilities and you put it in your job and your work and, you know, like your life and your, your house cleaning, your, your house will be clean. <laughs> You're exactly right. And that's, that's actually why I wasn't scared to quit my job with no real income coming in was because, because of, of the fact that I knew I could solve any problem, right? If it, if it was something that I felt strongly about and convicted that I can make it happen, just like what your point just was. And with the money, I decided, well, if I piss, I, in rehab, we had to do math and it looks like I've gambled away about a million dollars throughout my life. And I, now I've made it my journey. Like I'm going to figure out how to make a million. My goal is to actually make a million in 2021 with the things I've learned this year. Um, but there is this self-motivation and passion, like you said, and this maybe determination when, when I was gambling and drinking, you know, it was definitely more sneaky and self-centered. I'm, I'm grateful that it's not all about me anymore. Uh, cause that was not a good way to live. I don't like lying and, and I didn't like it even when I was using. Um, so I've definitely made some progress there, but there is something, there is something to it to people being successful because of those same qualities, I think. Yeah. And that fire exists, you know, like it, it, it's like, um, you know, like the, the daredevil gene, for example, you know, they've identified that, um, there's like a, a, a fearless gene that, you know, like makes it either like a, a, a huge gangster or, you know, like criminal or, uh, uh, you know, like a race car driver, you know, like it's pretty much, or, or a police officer, you know, like, so it's the same, it's pretty much the same gene that, you know, like you, you choose, you know, to turn left or right. Um, and I truly believe that, you know, like we're, we're, that's, that, um, that's makes, that makes us quite unique. Um, because, you know, like, again, you know, like we could actually, 
figure out a way to pawn shit that was worth nothing and you know know, i can talk our way through and getting a few bucks you know i can all kinds of stuff that we did um and it's funny you know like some some of the elders and and meeting groups say you know like if you put as much effort um that you did in buying and getting drugs that you do in getting sober you know like you're you're gonna be good you know like you're okay (laughs) no problem you know so yeah so i i wanna you know like just ask you a few questions about you know like the for example you know like we we skipped a lot about you know kind of your relation with i talk a lot about this but the relation with authority for example you know because you know like pass our parents which is like the first form of authority that we we discover or we we get to know um school is the second one one right you know like it's actually the first outside one that you 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 get introduced to what was your relation with that you know like what was your relation with you know like the kind of a rigid frame of you know like discipline and um were you okay with that well i was as far as a student and schooling i was i was okay i didn't start rocking the boat until that till i was 15 until then i was you know a pretty good student engaged but once i turned 15 that's when everything was just crazy so skipping school wasn't about authority with the school it was about what was going on in my life more so and wanting to party and wanting to do the things does that answer your question absolutely and 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 so i guess what kind of kid were you were you more the introvert type or the extrovert you know like the the, did you did you have a lot of friends that were you kind of the the you know like because you know again you're like i i i realized that um and you know, like I, I almost do it for the benefit of my listeners because I realized that I've, I've met and recorded with all of these types that I just mentioned. And so that's why I'm yeah. asking, you know, because I don't, I haven't found a common denominator in that, you know, like some have great relation with authority. They didn't mind, you know, like for a while I thought that, you know, like an anti-conformist like me or a rebellious asshole in class like me even though i had great grades but you know like i didn't you know i would just smell the book and have fantastic grades you know like i was i was just gifted um but at the same time i was such a brat you know because i i didn't care you know like i was just like well you know like there's no challenger fuck him you know so um but at the same time you know like for a while i thought that that was kind of a common denominator and it wasn't, you know, like I had, you know, like grade A students that was all were, you know, like bookworms. And I had introverts that, you know, like thought of themselves as pieces of shit, you know, like, and I had the people that had, that were friends magnet, you know, uh, and that's why I'm asking the question because, you know, like, it's just kind of uh, my own private statistics around that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's not, thank you for explaining that to me. Now I'm curious. So I was never... I call it the cool kids. I was never the cool kid. I had friends. I don't remember never not having friends through school. And I'd always been respectful of authority. Like when you were talking about that, I remember being at a party and the cops showed up and, and that scared me. I was always 
I was always more respectful of getting in trouble and, and all of that. So I wasn't an introvert though. I, I don't remember ever being an introvert. I've always been pretty social and it's gotten, I've definitely gotten more extrovert and social as an adult. People have told me that I collect people and I didn't even realize I did that, but I just, I talked to everyone and, and I try to maintain relationships. So yeah, no, I don't think I was, I don't think I was afraid of authority or, or disrespectful to authority. And, and, and I, I, I can relate to the, um, being worried about being caught by law, for example, you know, like I, I, even in my teens, um, I'll, I'll always remember that, you know, like someone told me that if you break a spark plug, the pieces of ceramics that comes out, you know, like the white part, um, you could easily throw that into a car window and it's going to crack, it's going to crack it. Um, so sure enough, we go into my father's garage break break a fucking spark plug and you know like try you know like walk like a few blocks out of you know like the of you know like far further from my house and find that car and and so we're three we're we three or four anyways you know like some of my friends and so the first one throws it like you know like really really and kind of wimpy and so sure enough it doesn't break and the second one which was like the the braver or didn't care more one um throws it but you know like throws it of you know all of his force i mean even a rock would have probably you know crashed it but um sure enough it crashes and i ran so fast and so far <laughs> i mean just scared shitless you know like i mean really really scared you know like and and every single time um you know like kind of in a way of showing some bravado I would say that I don't like police or I don't like the law. The reality was that I was just scared, scared of being caught, scared. Of, and it's funny because a few years later um, in sobriety, I was actually a co-sponsor of a, of a big detention center uh, here. And, um, and by sitting down with uh, other sober people, um, realizing to to some of my surprise um that a lot of them were much closer to what i was and to who i was than i could have imagined um that you know like for them it was like just one bad turn uh one um one fist fight too much one drinking drunk you know driving drunk too much or you know like so many things that I, I had done in my teens and in my young adult life that it, it, it kind of hit me. I was like, shit, you know, like that's one, you know, like that's one fist punch away from me. You know, like that's one right turn in my car when I shouldn't have driven, you know, like, um, short of my situation. Um, but again, you know, like I was, I was always scared that, um, and, you know, like, contrary to you, you know, like I was, I had friends, you know, like I, I would, I had friends, but I, w I was friends with the other outcasts and with the other, you know, like, um, I should have been with the nerd people and, you know, like kind of the popular type. I didn't want that. I, I purposely didn't want that. 
I found it more cool to be with the ones that look a bit funky and we're the skater boys and you know <laughs> it was really weird you know like i i i and, and at the same time um i did organize like the after party you know like the prom after party it was on my parents um um country house uh land and so i you know like for me it's just like why was it me you know like it was it was me there was <laughs> there was tons of kids getting stoned and drunk you know like on my on my and my parents were there and like it's like <laughs> it was just <laughs> sick you know anyways it was crazy um and so um would you say that you know like that the the, the drinking situation has impacted your um kind of your school path at the time? Yes. I think I need to give you a little color about, <laughs> I don't want to be depressing, but I, I guess I have to kind of share the facts with you. Yep. So when I was 14, the week between Christmas and New Year's, my uncle had committed suicide. And the following year on Thanksgiving, the fellow that had moved into his place had OD'd and my boyfriend was missing and he ended up dying. Like he came home and ended up dying. So like through all those years that you're talking about, I had nothing but grief that I was dealing with. So I wasn't, it wasn't about anything other than like survival and fear that like waiting for the next death or loss. So I honestly don't remember so much of that. And again, looking backwards, I can see that the partying was probably to not deal with all of that. And drinking <laughs> through it. Yeah, just drinking through it. Yeah. And at the same time, like it made you probably grow much faster than you should have. Yes. And I think I... I partially became like a workaholic like it was no problem to go be a truck driver and then be the youngest floral manager and like I always did very well at my job and I think that's because I always immersed myself in there but you brought up a point that I want to address with when it with the authority piece so my brother and I both my brother's three years younger and he got in a lot of trouble. And for a long time, I remember thinking he had gotten arrested one night when he should have been at work. And because I always had this work ethic, I was always at work. I might party and I might do illegal things or wrong things, but I still just somehow always went to work. In fact, I actually, I used to go to work stoned and, um, I used to, <laughs> I messed up the money. It wasn't like I was stealing, but I messed up the money because I'd go to work high and they didn't want to fire me because I always showed up. So they just moved me to another department that actually launched my flower career. But, but I remember thinking when my brother got arrested, well, if you just went to work, like you, I was never in the wrong place at the wrong time because I always went to work. It, it was just my mindset and it was something I was grateful for that because I should have been arrested many times, but it had something, I don't know, I guess I wasn't supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and you said it, you know, like you just said it, you know, like, I mean, at some point, um, and you see that almost from, from high school to college where, um, you see 
a lot of those cross path um, where, you know, like some decide. I remember hanging with, you know, like some of the, I would say the, some that dared more. And at some point around 17 or 18, between, I would say 18 and 21, 22, um, realizing that some that I would, that I was hanging out with crossed the path of what I could stand um, in terms of uh, dangerosity almost, you know, like, you know, like somewhere um, doing like the watch on, I would say crack house. You know, like, and I was like, oh, that's way too much for me. You know, like, fuck, yeah. fuck it. You know, like, I'm not going there. It was like, yeah, we have blasts. You know, like, we have like great audio system and we play music and we watch video games. And I was like, no, 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 you don't get it. You know, like, you started by saying that you're watching a house that sells coke and, 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 and drugs. I mean, are you fucking out of your mind? You're like, what's, what's going on, man? You know, like, <laughs> anyways, you know, like, it was all. There was, again, you know, like there was, you know, like I could do for so long and then realizing that, wow, 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 he's, he's crossed the line here. You know, like that's, that's like a step ahead of something that I'm not willing to do at all. And, um, and then again, you know, like it, you, you, again with work, it's the same thing, you know, like I, I don't. <laughs> It's kind of funny say it that way, but I don't mind coming to work stone, but I'm not going to be late, you know, <laughs> <laughs> right. you know, which is just weird saying like that, but it was just, I'm not going to miss work. And I had, you know, like I, I, I still was an anti-conformist, you know, like I still was that little rebel brat and, and, and the same, you know, like, so I had you know, those part-time jobs I had doesn't you know because i you know like i would say just for the sake of i remember one gas station the guy said um part-time don't take breaks they don't take uh breaks and they don't take days off and i think the next day i called him said well i'm taking <laughs> i'm taking next thursday off and he's like well did you lesson yesterday i said i did <laughs> he said well you're fired i said well fuck it yep i'm fired and just i don't know why you know like it was it was always boiling in me kind of the what what did you say you know like and and the first in line for you know like the manifestation but i was alone you know like so it was just like okay guys are ready let's manifest let's let's just fucking pull a strike you know like a yeah, yeah, Alex, go, go first. We'll follow you. And then I would just like go first and turn around and ooh, crickets. You know, like, what the fuck are you guys? You know, like, and then get punished for that. You know, like, and, or, or, or get, you know, like severely, well, fired. <laughs> so, yeah. But, um, but at the same time, while I was doing it, um, well, it was, you know, like it was me at work, you know, like, so, so you, you're, you're further from the problems and trouble for sure. When you, when you're at the workplace or when you're doing what regular human beings do, you know? So yeah, um, I, 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 I don't, I, I very know little about gambling and you know, like how it spirals down, um, can, can you tell me, you know, like kind of the, because, you know, like it, it, it always fascinated me, the fact that you, you do mostly people, you know, like the, the gambling problem and the, the alcohol problems are not always related, right? You know, can, you can have that buzz 
without having like a, a booze buzz, you know, like in terms of the gambling. Um, can you elaborate on that? You know, like I very, again, you know, like I, it's because I know very little about it that, you know, like I'm just curious. Yeah, that's a great question, Alex. And it's, it's sometimes hard for people to explain. And there's, there's times that I've told people like I've gone to when I was when I was in the thick of it and I would be gambling all night. I when I went to the ATM or to the cage to go get more money, it was like I was in the same kind of trance or on a different planet, you know, like as if under the influence of substances. And I would get home in the next morning and find all these receipts and stuff. It, it was kind of being like that checked out that year. For me, I was a slot machines were my favorite, but I liked poker and a whole bunch of other things, but slot machines and casino gambling, you don't have to think about anything when you're sitting there at that machine, you just press the button and, you know, do the thing. And eventually it's so numbing. Like I would win money that impressed the people around me and they would be like all excited, but I had known either that I had lost, you know, like if I won 5,000, I knew that that was nothing because I had probably lost 10,000 to win that 5,000. Yeah. It, it was, it was numbing. It was being, it was very isolating. It was very checked out. And I'm not a scientist or an expert or any of those things. It's my understanding because it's a behavioral disease as opposed to physical. So here's what's tricky. An, an alcoholic or a drug addict, their body is only going to allow them to do so much damage before it either quits, it ODs, it does something, right? There's a there's a finish line. Yep. There's a maximum. Well, with gambling, it doesn't really work that way. And the same high, essentially, even though it's not a drug high or an alcohol high, we get high. Our brain is lighting up and we have the dopamine and, and it just, we have to keep chasing it because it, eventually we get used to each level and, and it creates cravings, we, right? Yes. Yeah. They actually, the way that I've been taught is that we almost have withdrawal and I forgot what it's called, but, but the change in our brains and our bodies is for up to two years after we quit the cravings, the urges and the, it, it's like its own version of withdrawal. Yeah. Obviously not going to make us as sick as someone maybe detoxing from alcohol, but there is a whole bunch of our, our leader at the center calls it. Um, he says it's addicted on the cellular level. Like our, our brains and bodies are programmed to gamble. Wow. And um, so you would say that you would be as far gone while playing that you would be getting hammered on alcohol. Well, I generally didn't gamble and drink at the same time. Oh, interesting. And, and think, interesting. Yeah. I think it was because when I was younger, when I first started sneaking to the casino, it was an hour and a half each way. So I think I was too afraid back then to drink and drive all that way. I, there's definitely times I've been at the casino and I've been hammered, but it's usually when I'm sleeping there. So I generally, because I had a drive, didn't drink. 
And the other thing is, if I was drinking, it would like, I couldn't stay up for a day or whatever. Like drinking would knock me out. I wouldn't be able to keep playing and keep gambling. And um, so alcohol would almost, would almost ender your, your quote unquote abilities on the gambling side? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wow. It, 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 in therapy, we were, you know, like we, we were sharing the, the, the same therapy center with people that had gambling issues. And um, I remember being told that, you know, like, for example, we had like a change machine um, that would, you know, like you would put a dollar bill and give you change for some of the distribute, you know, like can whatever, you know, like soft drink distribution machines and and um, and they had placed a felt um, at the bottom where, where the change drops, where the spare change drops. And it was explained wow. to me. Yeah, it was, I was told that it was because the clinging sound of the, of the quarter. Is it trigger? It was trigger. Yeah. And, it, it, and so I, I told my therapist, I was like, wow, that's crazy. He said, Alex, one morning I was late. And it was like a few years back. He said, one morning I was late and they had to catch an elevator. The, the therapy center was on the second floor. And he pressed, you know, I don't know, three, too many times, uh, you know, like three times too many times the, the um, second floor button and the closed door button. And there were some, some resident um, standing next to him in the, in the elevator. And they told him, stop doing that because it sounds the same. Uh, because again, you know, like just the pressing of the buttons, you know, like pressing kind of, I don't know, I wouldn't say aggressively, but you know, like kind of pressing hard on the button triggered mm -hmm. them, you know, like it was like, it triggers us, you know, like it just, it sounds, it sounds quite similar to when I'm playing my machine, you know, like, and I was like, holy shit, you know, like, so I, uh, I totally understand when, you know, like the, some of the, the therapists at your, at, at the center you, you went through would say it's on the cellular and cerebral uh, level. Yeah, you brought up so many good points that I'd love to speak to. Um, first of all, when I was in treatment and rehab, a lot of the studies that we saw, you know, they saw taught us educational stuff came out of Canada. I think Canada has been doing a better job of researching and being aware of gambling addiction. I think they've had a head start on the state. At least that's my perception through my experience. I don't have facts to uh, I I know why, Bobby. And and I, I, I can I can I can explain you why. All of our um especially in Quebec, all of our um casinos and and gambling uh system is owned by the government ah uh. so you know like so just so you know you know like, you know, like uh, 15 years ago when i went to therapy one secret trick was to actually say that you know like you were coming in therapy for a gambling problem and loto quebec you know which is like the the gambling authority um the provincial uh, lo uh, lottery authority would actually pay for your therapy because you know like it's it's a shitload of money for such a vice to be owned by the government right you know like so they'd rather pay your five thousand bucks therapy than having you say yeah some government agency is actually killing me so yeah. um, 
so I, w- I would I would um, suspect that some of those studies were either uh, universities against the fact that you know like instead of being banned or whatever or at least all law a little was you know like against the idea or um, it's little Quebec um, kind of you know like funding them to understand better. Wow. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. And it's funny because that's part of my my mission is when I was when I went to rehab, you're right, it was like five grand. And I had to jump through some hoops. I had to go to a counselor and get somebody to sign off. But the state of Kansas actually paid for they had money to pay for my treatment. Now, my friend that lived in Wisconsin there, they had a bunch of little they're not really, they're like independent little rooms. I I wouldn't even call them a casino, but at any rate, their legislation or their rules didn't support treatment. So he had to pay out of pocket. So I, I would like down the road to make an impact enough where there's treatment in every state and that it's built in. In New York, we have two different kinds of casinos. We have state run casinos and then we have Indian casinos. So that's unique too, that the the state, the government, to your point, they're collecting the money. And I want to tell you, I, I want to go back to triggers and this, I'll start with the state for the lottery, for example. When you go into a convenience store, whenever someone, I don't know if your machines are like this in Canada, but when someone redeems a ticket, it plays a little song. Do, 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 do. Yep. Like, it's announcing that you won and, and I've, I've stood in line and I've watched this and heard it. And it, it it's almost like it's, this machine is programming you because yep. you, as you go, it makes but, you smile. It almost makes you smile. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. But some of the triggers for me, it's cr- it, some of them blindside me. I think the stuff that you mentioned about the felt, um, makes a lot of sense but the way that slot machines work nowadays they have so many different like theatrics right and and for example one of the machines that i used to love to play was this pharaoh machine and that song from the bangles walk like an egyptian was the theme song and every time you went to a bonus round that was the song that played So to this day, when I hear that song on the radio, I think about that slot machine. And it's like that with a whole bunch of things. There was Britney Spears machine as well that was next to a machine that I liked. And when I hear this certain Britney Spears song, again, it was a bonus round. And they tie it into current event things or things that you see in your everyday life. Like the... The puffer fish, and this is a random example, but I would have never known what a puffer fish was, but there was a slot machine that had a puffer fish and it blew up in a bonus round. Like, so when I see, and I'm tying this to an example, they're on Shark Tank, I think these people were trying to sell puffer fish or whatever. It was somewhere, but automatically I go back to the slot machine. So the triggers are everywhere and 
anywhere and hidden and obvious and everything all rolled into one. You just never know when you're going to get caught by something. That's dark so science, just, right? That's dark science. You know, like, cause you know, like <laughs> we, we have, we underestimate how much this has been and this must have been studied. You know, like sometimes we think, you know, like it's all coincidence or whatever, you know, like, or it, it's being thrown there. Like, no, no, no. There's, there's, you just said it, you know, like it, it's no coincidence that, you know, like these songs and these objects or these symbols triggers you is that, you know, like it's going to find its match. And why when you walk a casino floor, there's so, there's so many different machines, you know, like there wasn't back in the days, you know, like you, you would see all the same machines, but you know, like they've developed such a, a dark science around this that, you know, like they've just decided that, oh, you like uh, race cars. Well, we've got one for you. You know, like you like pop music, we've got one for you too, you know, like and, and, and so on and so on. Yep. It's crazy. There, yeah, triggers are everywhere. I mean, and that's aside from the normal, I had a bad day at work trigger or I had a fight with my spouse trigger yeah. or the kids are pissing me off trigger, right? Like, well, that's not even counting them. This is just the, I like that term, dark science, because it's so true. Yeah. And, and you make me realize how much, um, cause you know, like I don't have that, you know, like I, 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 I don't carry that gene, um, to a point where, um, even going to Vegas, for example, because, you know, like I'm, like I said, you know, like I work in sales and, you know, like there's a lot of convention that takes place in, takes place in Vegas. Um, I have walked the, the casino floor so many times where I would just almost study this, you know, like look at it and just, I, I, I enjoy it, you know, like a good game of card with my friends. I enjoy, you know, like playing, but I'm not, you know, like it, it, it quickly hurts me to lose money, you know, like it. So, which is something that, you know, like I, I think someone that has that gene, you know, like is more resistant to it. You know, like it hurts me so much that I, you know, like I feel like I'm going to throw up and I, I leave, you know, like, so, so I, I don't have it in me, you know, like, but I, I, I honestly have to admit that when I, when I left therapy, I had like my little four friends, four or five friends card games on Fridays. And I stopped playing for about, um, I would say three months worried and, and a bit worried about, uh, having it, you know, like I was like, eh, maybe I'm, you know, like I can, you know, I can, I can be, um, like having that habit in, in me. Um, and so when I played, I, so I tried once, you know, like, so I invited him you know, home and, and w really wanted to, you know, like kind of, but, you know, like at the same time, I would play almost blackout stone or drunk, you know, like, so, and so I played, and I was like, okay, I don't have it. And then later I went outside to play like a little, it was like not clandestine, but like that little poker game, you know, like the very little wages in there. And, but I busted out and I was about, it was really, really cold outside. And I was about to go walk like a 15 minute walk to go to an ATM. And I, <laughs> and I felt that, you know, like that mist of, you know, like not really caring that I would be freezing. Um, and I didn't, you know, like, so I walked out, started walking. And as I approached the ATM, I kind of woke up, 
you know, I go like, oh, that's what I could fall into. That's the trap I could fall into. And so I walked back and I said, well, I busted out. Fuck it. I'm going home. Um, <laughs> and since then, and I think it was 20 bucks, right, Bobby? I mean, like it was like nothing. It's just that I felt myself, you, you said, you know, like you described it best by, you know, like getting numb. I felt like that not being blind for a while and then just like almost stopping mid, you know, like midway and say, well, no, 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 I'm, I'm just like, I'm, I could, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking straight. Um, and so after that, you know, like I was, you know, like, so I, I was walking the casino floor and just like, you, you could, I think you can even see it in people's eyes, the difference between one and another. Um, one, I was almost like Falcon, you know, like, um, look, you know, like the, their eyes are different. Um, <laughs> you're right. Those that play, you know, like the dull dilated pupils and you're like, like you would probably describe someone that's, that's stoned or drugged, you know, like you, <laughs> but exactly. The, yeah. The, you could definitely tell there's a difference for sure. And so, um, I know that, you know, like we, we've, you know, like we've just crossed the one hour mark, but you know, like I need to ask you, what's your, what's your, um, what would you say would be your, your sobriety routine? You know, like what are the must do and the must have, or, you know, like the must read that you, you, you know, like you, you, you make yourself kind of, a um, almost like an homework daily or weekly that you need to do to keep your sobriety sane. Okay. Wow. I got a healthy list of answers for you. <laughs> awesome. Um, definitely staying connected with, with people in the community. Like I still have friends from Kansas city gamblers anonymous. I have friends in New York. I have the center, um, rehab friends. So definitely staying connected. My podcast has like totally saved me because I do the reading and I, you know, I do a lot of posting on social media about recovery topics. Holding myself accountable to my audience is something that's huge for me because I feel like I could never go gamble now because I would be such a hypocrite after, you know, trying to help my listeners. So that's definitely a big thing. And, and the practicing what I preach kind of holds me to a standard um, I'm imagining you probably feel something similar with, with doing the show, practicing gratitude, of course, of course, of course. <laughs> um, and I'm starting to, so I took the step work very seriously and I made it to step five in treatment. And at the beginning of 2019, or it was the end of 2018, um, my friend said to me that when he was gambling, he didn't go to church because he felt like he didn't deserve to. And as part of my step 11 work, because when he said that, I was like, well, wait a minute, deserve to go to church. Well, now I'm interested, you know, like if you think you deserve to go to church, it must not be as bad as I thought all these years. So, and it was step 11 time. So I started going to yoga and I started going to church to just explore my spirituality. And I will have to say that from going from like full blown, probably atheist five years ago to 
believing in, I like the term love source. I used to call it universe, but I really like the term love source. I don't, I still struggle with the G word, full disclosure, but having the spirituality and really just trying to understand mindfulness and gratitude in those practices, I think those all help keep me grounded. And um, do you do like writing? Do you, you know, like, I guess the podcasting is, you know, like is, is, is in place for the equivalent of writing? Yeah, it kind of does, but I still do. I journal. I'm not consistent. I'm not consistent about it. Um, I'll do different like Facebook. There'll be challenges or just different events. So I'll do a lot of those. Like right now I'm in a miracle, miracle challenge, a 30 day miracle challenge. So he's making us journal on what our perfect life looks like and um, different things like that. So I journal in those kind of things a little bit better. And you're right. Like the, the podcast, at least while I'm doing it daily is kind of like my own personal journal out loud. Wow. That's, uh, that's great. I mean, like, that's always, you know, like, uh, you know, like I'm always curious about, you know, like kind of the methods of, you know, like keeping an healthy sobriety and, you know, like, how do you, make sure that, you know, like there's, um, it doesn't get impacted by, you know, like the, the, even though, you know, like there, it's a fast train of life, right? You, you just don't want to be carried by that and forget that one of the most, if not the most important thing is keeping your sobriety healthy and, you know, like keeping that in mind, you know, so you just mentioned, you know, like some of the great steps of, of keeping it like that way. Yeah, I forgot to mention too. I, I I told you about that other that show, Recovery Elevator. They have a community. I think I pay like twenty dollars a month, and it's a private group, and they do a lot of activities. So that's where I kind of do my alcohol recovery work, I guess. And that's who I, you know, with the sober trip, being around the like-minded people and just learning about it. I think my curiosity helps too. I, I mentioned to you, I can't remember now if it was on the year or off, but recovery Dharma, for example, is this Buddhist approach to recovery, but it sounds a lot like the 12 steps, but not the same, you know? So my curiosity and learning through different methods like that are, are helping too, because I can stay interested. It's kind of like college for recovery or something. Yeah. Um, the other thing, uh, you, you talked about your podcast, maybe you want to tell us, um, where can people find you? Where, where can people find your podcast? What's the podcast name? Oh, thank you. I'm sorry. Um, it's called three, two, one, no kidding. So three, two, one is, is my clean date from gambling. And I want to build a a recovery playground where there's not going to be children allowed in it so that adults can go have fun. So that's where that comes from. Three, two, one, no kidding. And I go by Bobby the awesome on Instagram and Bobby Malatesta on Facebook. So I'm, I'm kind of getting everywhere. <laughs> that's the, that's the new, uh, you know, like the new mandatory thing, you know, like you want to, you know, you want to, 
share your your you know like you you want to share positive vibe you know like you, you have to be everywhere like i'm always like i feel old sometimes i'm like well shit you know, like i haven't taken care of my facebook and you know like lets me sync with the instagram and like I, I i haven't done the tiktok thing you know like i feel like you know like i'm gonna break in half if i need to dance in front of a camera so fuck it but <laughs> <laughs> i'm happy and excited that you know about it tiktok is part of my 2021 plan actually <sighs> but i'll confess remember how i said I started a second business on accident. Yeah. It was because I hired virtual assistants. So I have a team that does a lot of it for me. They help me keep up with stuff. So I'm on there a lot, but they definitely help me and keep me savvy to it because I don't really know what I'm doing either. You're lucky. You know, like I I still, um, yeah, I mean, like I, I, that's my plan for 2021 is to actually grow that movement and that podcast and the cold turkey thing um, to a level that I can actually find people that can help me. So I'm I'm getting ready for my, uh, actually my third year, second year. Yeah, I'm gonna be embracing my third year uh, in March, uh, which means that um, it's gonna be my two year anniversary. And, uh, you know, like I have, I have good stuff in mind for, you know, like, where do I take that? You know, like I do, I you know, may use that as a vehicle for something else or um, just grow this to, you know, like to a mission or something, you know, like, so, so yeah, I have, I have, as you do, you know, like I have good stuff in mind for, you know, like that, that, that great thing that I created um, and grow this to different proportion. I, I don't know, you know, like I still haven't wrapped my around my head around it, but you know, like I, I definitely want to leverage that to, to some new heights. So. Well, now that we're connected, Alex, if there's anything I could ever do to help you, you just let me know. Awesome. So for our listeners, every link and every description that Bobby has just uh, mentioned, uh, it, you can, it can be found on the description of the podcast episode as every week. Um, Bobby's going to provide them to me and I'm going to include them in the description. And, uh, so you can, you can connect and find Bobby at those, uh, links. Um, thank you, Bobby, for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, always a pleasure to have, um, guests coming from all parts of the world and, you know, with all kinds of, you know, like luggage in their backsack. And, you know, like for me, it's just, uh, it's just a great experience and you know like my listeners must be so fed up of me saying it but you know like i'm 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 so grateful for every one of my guests that you know like i feel the need to just say it you know like i i i'm thankful for you uh, accepting to be part of that well i appreciate you having me so i completely understand your gratitude i get it it's been an honor thank you have a good night you too thank you bye bye 